0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The title of the message is Faith, Love, and Hope in Thessalonica. You guys see that in uh, verse 3? You're going to see that. We're going to touch on that quite a bit. But first, let's get you caught up to speed. If you weren't here last Sunday, you missed the first message in the book of Thessalonians. This is actually our second study in this first letter to the Thessalonians. Last time... In verse 1, we just covered verse 1, so you didn't miss a whole lot. But you saw, we saw that this thing reads like an email. Pretty much all of the epistles read like an email. Meaning, first you see the authors, then you see the recipients. Then he gets to the subject and the body of the email. Look at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timothy. Those are the authors. Those are the ones who are sending this email. Paul, Sil- Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians. Those are the ones who are receiving this mail. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me kind of uh, maybe catch up to speed a little bit on just a small de- small details here. The authors, pa- Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they planted this church on Paul's second missionary journey um, and it was in just uh, 100 miles south and west, I believe, from, uh, from Philippi, where these guys had been beaten up. Now, the recipients, Church of the Thessalonians. This was, of course, in Thessalonica, which is in Macedonia, real close to Athens and Philippi and Corinth. This was a very young church, we saw, only three weeks that these guys had been taught by Paul before Paul was run out of town, which is no surprise if you know Paul. This this church had only been going, we think, about a year when this uh, mail was sent. And as any young group of believers, these guys needed some instruction. But in general, these guys were doing very well. Matter of fact, if you were going to say that this was an e-mail, you could say that, first of all, and what we'll see today, this was an encouraging letter. Basically, this was Paul saying, look guys, you guys are doing great at some of these things. But also, later on we'll see, it was an exhorting letter, which is, you guys could do better at these things. And then finally, and probably most importantly, this was an eternally focused letter. Paul says, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the fact that Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. Matter of fact, you would call that the subject of this email. The overarching subject of this email is, Jesus shall return. This is about his imminent return. If you're looking for an E word expected, right? Jesus will return, and you can expect it. You should expect it. It could happen any time, as we'll see again today. All right, so let's begin. Look at verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. First notice that our authors here, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, were apparently good old boys from the South. They said, we give thanks for y'all. We give thanks to God for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Let's take a little, a few minutes here and talk about prayer. How's your prayer life? Are you like, what prayer life? Do you have a prayer life? Do you need some help in establishing one? Do you need some help this morning maybe in rekindling one? Verse 2, before we go any further, has three really easy Helpful pointers. Three simple ways to develop or to rekindle your prayer life. Verse 2 starts with the word what? We. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all. We make mention of you in our prayers. See, right from the start, we see that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were prayer partners. They prayed together. If you're having trouble developing a prayer life, or if you need to rekindle your current prayer life, here's an easy pointer. Pointer number one. Find a prayer partner. Paul had Silas and Timothy. Silas had Paul and Timothy. Timothy had Paul and Silas. If your prayer life is still not a habit, if it's not a powerful, a fruitful time, you need to start training. Anybody ever trained for a marathon? I have, believe it or not. You can probably tell. Okay, it was a long time ago. But when you're training to do running or pretty much any athletic sport, one of the first things I'll say is, look, if you need motivation, if you need uh, some help getting started, what do you do? Find a partner. Find someone to run with you, to ride with you, whatever it is. If you want to train, if you want to train in this thing called prayer and you're not having any luck, no motivation, find a partner. Now, couples, you have it easy. Couples that are Christian, that both of you guys are coming to church, you have it easy. You can start with your spouse. Matter of fact, if you can, it's a great thing to start your day with prayer together. Right? To just say, and and we're going to see. You know, when when I say that, probably everybody's like, I don't have another 45 minutes. Right? Don't worry about the time. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay? But it's a great way to start your day. And couples, you have a built-in partner. Dads. You can be prayer partners with your kids. Now, depending on how old they are, they might want to just go through the list, right? Bless mommy and daddy. But actually, we're going to see that's not such a bad idea. But also, you can partner with them and say, hey, let's pray about this other thing that I learned about in church. Singles. Okay, you have a little more groundwork. You have a little bit more work to do as far as getting a partner. Single men, find another godly man. Single women, find another godly woman. Well, here's a situation that some of us are in. Not me, thankfully, but some. What if you're married to an unbeliever? What if you you just pretty much know your spouse won't pray with you? Well, women, if that's you, you can still find a godly woman in the church who's married, who can pray with you. Men, you can do the same. Sometimes it might take a little bit more groundwork, but it's going to pay off. See... What's the talk about lately? There's a lot of talk about alternate forms, new forms of energy, of power, right? Yet the power of prayer is largely untapped in our world. Sidlow Baxter said, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Prayer is powerful. There's amazing power here. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Jesus speaking, he says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree hmm, on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You guys understand that? Are you awake enough to understand this? The one who spoke the world into existence has opened... The door to his throne room. We are invited in. And he says, where well, even just two of us agree on anything that he agrees with, he's going to do it. Now, we get to the time issue. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'd love to do that, but truly, I, I don't have another minute in my day. Well, Have you got five minutes? Five minutes, for instance, on your cell phone, on your way to work? Notice verse 2 again. Here's your prayer pointer number two. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all. And then he says, making mention of you in our prayers. Did you notice Paul didn't say, we give thanks for you always giving a 20 minute dissertation about you. No, he said, we make mention of you. We, we've we got a list and we say, Lord, you know what this person needs. Bless them. And then we move on. Making mention of you. You guys know that short prayers are okay? Short prayers are okay. Short prayers are good. Matter of fact, Luther, Martin Luther said, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. He says, if, you, if you've if you been studying, if you know the issue, you don't need to say a lot of words. If you and your prayer partner, let's say you're on the phone, all you got to do is just make mention of the people on your list. Here's a sample. Here's what you can do. You want to pray for me? No. Okay, I hope you do. All right. You could say, Lord, you know how much Doug needs prayer. I mean, if I prayed for all of his problems, I'd be here all day. It would take hours. Please, Lord, just give him what he needs right now. Next. I, I timed that, believe it or not. It took eight seconds when I read it out loud. Eight seconds. You realize that with eight seconds... Praying that kind of prayer, you could pray for everybody in our church. Every adult in our church, you could pray for in five minutes. Now, I'm not saying, understand, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray specifically. Specific prayers are good. Matter of fact, that's one of the ways that you know that your prayers are answered. Because you're specific and the Lord answers them specifically. But, this is what I'm saying. If the thing that's keeping you from developing a prayer time is time... Start your training small. Start by making mention of me, of other folks in prayer. Just making mention of the saints in your prayers. I happen to know and believe that God really can fill out the details. You guys want an example? No? Okay, good. This past Thursday, we had a prayer time. I wasn't able to be there, but I heard it went great. And this, just by the way, this is a neat example as well, is that the thing that I think has been so encouraging about the prayer time is that people are getting it. We're starting to understand that these don't need to be long prayers. And when you, when you pray and you follow somebody up with a sentence that they said, there's this kind of organism that grows. It's like, wow, God really is directing our prayers, and it's not like one guy taking over and having a dissertation. It's pretty neat. But I wasn't able to be there on Thursday, but I know that you guys prayed for me, right? Prayed for me. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how you prayed for me. And I even asked Ben, I said, did you guys tra- pray for traveling mercies? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> but I can tell you this. At 9.35, 9.37, just as you guys were wrapping up, I was flying into Charlotte trying to catch a plane that was supposed to leave at 9.30. Five minutes, you notice that's overlap. Not good. Ran through this really long airport. And they were actually waiting. I mean, I was amazed. They were waiting. And I have no doubt that God answered your very unspecific prayer. <laughs> you said, Lord, you know what he needs. And he did. I doubt if any of you that prayed that night mentioned my flight and said, make sure that he makes his flights on time." Maybe you did. Either way, God is smart enough to pick out the details. So it's okay to make mention in your prayers. So that's two easy points, right? Find a prayer partner. You can do that today. Number two, keep it simple. Keep it short. It's okay. Number three, here's the last one before we move on. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. When you start to pray, just start with thanksgiving. That's a very biblical principle. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. That's the best way to start prayer with Thanksgiving. There's a few reasons. One, he's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. Number two, it's a really great, quick way to enter into the knowledge of his presence. Number three, you're going to be blessed when you start to listen to yourself. Wow, I really do have a lot to be thankful for. There's all sorts of great reasons to to be thankful in your prayer and to start your prayer that way. So, three quick pointers in case you're sleeping. They need to pay attention. Find a partner, keep it short, and be thankful. Number Verse 3, ready? 1 Thessalonians verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. We mentioned it last week. These Thessalonians were famous for these three things. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. Paul says, every time I think about you guys, every time I mention you in my prayers, he says, I'm blessed because of these three things that stick out to me. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. And notice he says, in our Lord Jesus. See, Paul says, I'm proud of your work of faith in Jesus. Your labor of love in Jesus. And your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, love. Ever heard those before? Right, they're the big three. The big three in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Paul says, he says, Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So the first word here, the first E that we see in this email is Paul's encouragement. To these believers in Thessalonica. He says, look guys, I'm so thankful for you. He says, I mention you in my prayers. And when I do, the thing that always comes to my mind are these wonderful traits. These three things that that I see in you. Faith, hope, and love. Notice Paul says to these guys. He's writing them this letter. Hasn't seen them in nine months, a year. He says, guys, I want you to know the things that I see in you haven't gone unnoticed by me. And I doubt that they've gone unnoticed by God. Here's a quick application for you too. Are you an encourager? Are you like Paul here? You see someone doing well or even someone doing well under the circumstances? You see someone working hard? You see someone who doesn't get much praise? Paul says, he took a, a minute, a, a few seconds to write this down to say, basically, guys, I noticed. I noticed and... God notices too. This week, that could be your application. You could be the person who makes it your aim to go to when you see someone and you notice, to to mention it. Say, I noticed that, that you did that great thing for that person. I noticed that you're under a lot of stress, but you're holding up well. You can be that encourager. You can say, and the, the thing is, at least if you're a Christian, when I hear that, If I hear encouragement from someone, I'm blessed by that person. But the thing that it really says to me is that God noticed it too. Right? He always notices, but sometimes it's nice to hear that from other people. Oh, and by the way, um, what happens after a message like this? Then you guys will come up to me and say, Hey, that was great and really really bless you and all that. I get it all the time, okay? Give it to somebody else. Okay. See, these guys had the basics down. The big three. Faith, love, and hope. But did you notice... Each word has a word attached to it. The word attached to it is a not as nice and ethereal and pretty word. He says, your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. See, in each word, the word attached is a modifier, a describer. More importantly, it's a product. It's an evidence of of the the presence of one of these big three. Faith, hope, and love. In other words, let me put it this way. Faith, real faith, will show itself in work. Love, real love, will show itself in labor. And hope, real hope, will show itself in patience. Let's start with the first one. Paul says, I notice your work... Of faith. Wait a second. Work, faith. Is that an oxymoron? I mean, we've just been through Galatians, right? Do those words go together? Like peace, force? Like pretty ugly? Like soft rock? Like tax return? We finished Galatians. I mean... We understand, right? If you, if you went through with, with Galatians with us, and you don't get this, then we really need to review. We understand you're not saved by works. You cannot be saved by works. As a matter of fact, John chapter six, verse twenty-eight through twenty-nine. The crowds asking Jesus a question. They say, they said to him, "What shall we do that we may do the works of God?" Jesus answered and said to them, "This is the work singular of God, that you believe in Him, whom He sent." Jesus says, the only way you're going to get to heaven is by doing one thing, which is believing in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No man comes to the Father but by me. Paul here, though he's praising their work of faith. I mean, is Paul having a brain freeze here? I mean, this is the same guy who said, you cannot be saved by works. No, it's just the same as when James mentions in chapter 2, James chapter 2, when he says, faith without works is dead. Paul says, you show me your faith. You say that you have faith without your works. But he says, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. In other words, you can say that you have faith, but unless you actually do something with it, then you're proving, you're outing yourself that you don't have faith. Illustration. Let's say I say to you that the build, this building right now is on fire. You can say you believe me. But if you really believed me, you would grab your kids and run out the door. If I really believed me, I would grab my kids and run out the door. See, belief results in action. Faith results in a work of faith. Prayer. We've been talking about prayer. Prayer is a work of faith. Conviction time here. You can say you believe in the power of prayer... But do you pray? If you really believe in the power of prayer, you're going to pray. You can say you believe in the principle of tithing and giving. But do you give? You can say you believe that God will take care of you when you do that. but, But do you? You can say that reading the Bible, that the Bible is the word of God, is powerful. But do you read it? We can say that Jesus is coming back soon, but do we live by it? Do we live like it? Now, this is not to bring us back under the law. We worked too long in Galatians to do that. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Here's the point. If you, as I mentioned those, you're like, wow. Wow. Man, maybe I don't really believe in prayer because I don't pray that much, or any of those lists. Jesus says, translated through me, I guess, this is the work of God, that you believe in me. In other words, focus again on your relationship with me, and I will give you these things. I'll give you these desires. Listen, faith works. You can look at it from a, from a few angles. Faith works. In other words, well, okay, if I'm not working, why is, what's the deal with my faith? But also, let me put it this way. Faith works. Every time, every good thing I've ever done, I think I can testify this, every good thing that I've ever done is a result of the fact that I really believe there's a God. That I really believe I'm going to meet him one day. That I really believe that he loves me inexplicably, inexplicably I can't say the word, and unconditionally. Everything, every good thing that's ever come out of you, Christian, is an act of faith. Uh, the the desire, the knowledge that he really is real. All right. Paul praised the Thessalonians for their faith and he recognized it because, why? It resulted in work. Paul says, look, I can see you have faith because I can see the work. This is interesting. Look down at verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, for... From you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith, there's the word, toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. There's three statements like this as we go through the book of First Thessalonians. You're going to see three statements where Paul basically says, "Look, guys, I'm preaching to the choir. I don't really need to say this, but I'm gonna." Which doesn't surprise you when you know Paul as well. He's a preacher. Three statements where he says, look, you guys are already proven that you know this stuff. And here's the first one. Paul says, look, I don't need to instruct you that much on faith because you guys get it. You understand. He's sending this email. He's an encouraging mail. And I can say the same thing of many of you. In some ways, I'm preaching to the choir. There's a lot of you guys that have your faith born out in good works. You guys ready to move on? The second thing these Thessalonians were famous for. Look at verse 2 again. Or I'm sorry, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love. Just like faith, real faith will always produce work, love, real love always shows itself in labor. Matter of fact, we see that from the very beginning. You moms know. Love is a labor. Each of us were brought into the world through a very real labor of love. There's another oxymoron, by the way. Easy labor. Before your mom ever laid eyes on you, before she ever held you in her arms, she worked hard for you. She labored for you. Just like faith shows itself in works, love is an action. Right? You've heard that before. Love is a verb. But actually, it's even more intense. We're going to see these, ver- these three words, the, the, the modifiers of these three words, are intense. They grow in intensity and, and uh, commitment, you'd say, as you go through them. Because that first word where it says work of faith, that's the word ergon. Is translated that with which you occupy your time and effort. But this word labor is trans- translated much more intensely. It means intense labor united with trouble and toil. It literally means a beating. Love is a beating. Now, if you've been married more than a few months, <laughs> you can back me up on this. Love is hard work. Rewarding, yes. Wouldn't change a thing, right? But the words labor and love go very well together. Labor and love. Now, here's here's my chance to plug the relationship series that we're going to be starting in a couple weeks. One of the things that we're going to be focusing on is this whole idea. It's really important that we get in this day and age, love is not just a feeling. It's not... Floating lyrics to a song. Love is an action word. Love is labor. Love is intense work united with trouble and toil. Love is a beating. And how, how much would our songs change if we really went that way? All you need is toil. Da, 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 da. All you need is a beating. Da, 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 da. All you need is sweat, pain, troubles, all you need. But think about it. This is where it gets good. If love is actually a verb, if love is actually about hard work, a sacrificial willingness to love, you realize that means hope for any marriage? Any marriage. Your marriage, couples, doesn't have to depend upon feelings. If you've been depending upon feelings for your marriage... You're going to be miserable because it's going to come and go. But here, love is about labor, about commitment. You can have a great marriage based on the kind of love that God models for us, that he showed us when he saved us. The kind of love that he can only give as well. So, I hope you guys can make it a week from Thursday. But, to go out of the realm of marriage... You guys know as well as I do, you don't have to be married to know that love is a labor. Loving some people is more of a labor than others. Christianity is loving the unlovable, just like God did with you. I bet you, everyone in this room could think of at least one person that you wouldn't choose to love if it were based on looks or ability her personality. And I mean besides me. They, they say if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. <laughs> the church is made up of imperfect people like you so that we can practice. Practice this labor of love. Practice this idea that, wow, God really loved me and I know me. I can't believe that he did. So I'm going to practice loving this person that I can't imagine That I could do on my own. Because I can't. Christianity is loving the unlovable like God did with you. Matter of fact, this is a good time to look down at verse 4. We'll skip over the last part of 3 and then we'll come back. Look at verse 4. It says, knowing beloved brethren, your election by God. See, Christianity is loving the unlovable. And it started with God loving the unlovable you. I didn't mean to look at you specifically, but all of us. Verse 4. Verse 4 calls us beloved. And says that we were elected by God. You know what that means? Chosen by God. Do you guys know when you were chosen, according to the Bible? Was it after you did some great stuff for God? Yep, God, I really did some great stuff, and now you're going to choose me. No. Romans 5, verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's amazing to me, not too amazing, but a little bit amazing, that my mom would go to such hard work, would labor to bring me into this world, having never laid eyes on me, never known me. But how much more amazing is that Jesus would labor for me, knowing exactly all about me, He knows me. He knows every sin I've ever committed, every sin I'm going to commit, and he still chose me. Spurgeon said, said, it's a good thing that God chose me before the foundation of the world because he never would have chosen me after he saw what I did. (laughs) After he saw me live. Now, it's a humorous point, but it's not true. Because God saw everything from the foundation of the world. He knew everything you were going to do, and he still chose you still chose you and me. Why? Because love is a labor. You could say that you and I, Christian, are his labor of love. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like my king. I want to actually be one who labors in love. I want to be willing to submit to toil, to trouble, tears for the unlovable, just like he did. Turn to chapter 4, verse 9. You can keep your spot here in First Thessalonians 1. Here's another one of those. Paul says, I'm preaching to the choir. It says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul says, look guys, I don't need to teach you Thessalonians about love. You guys are taught by God himself. Every day you wake up and he whispers in your ear, love that person, suffer for that person. And again, I can say the same thing to many of you. In many ways, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys do love the unlovable. The crazy thing, though, is, is that when you do, you discover that there's really no such thing. There's really no such thing as unlovable. The ones that you thought were unlovable, when you love on them for a while, they become lovable. There's just, I can't explain it. I wouldn't have been friends with them outside of church, but they're cool. This, this love thing begins to blossom, but it starts with an act of the will, of labor of love. And finally, the third thing now that the Thessalonians were famous for. Back up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Thessalonians were famous for their patient waiting for the return of Jesus. Now, first of all, we need to make sure you understand, make clear. The word hope there doesn't mean, well, I hope he comes back. Right? It's not like when you wish upon a star kind of thing. Hope here means, literally, the confident assurance of a settled fact. See, just as faith, real faith, will show itself in work, and love, real love, will show itself in labor, So, so too, hope, real hope, is going to show itself through patience. The word patience there is hupomene. It means to stand under, steadfastness, constancy, endurance, to remain, to abide, not to recede or flee, to preserve under misfortunes and trials, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, to endure, to bear bravely and calmly ill treatments. Remember, the Thessalonians were under great persecution. We begin to see verse 3 then is a progression, right? Faith is a relatively easy work. All you've got to do is believe, and that will begin to show fruit in works. Love, though, is more of a labor. It's a real commitment. It's, you add intensity to the mix. Toil, trouble. But hope requires patience. That means you've you got to deal with the toil and the trouble for a long, extended period of time. See, Christianity is your faith working Then as you grow, your love laboring laboring intensely. And then as you wait, your hope being tested, shown through your patient love and faith. Faith is not faith without work. Love is not love without labor. And hope is not hope without patience. Are you patient? Are you patient in your hope? Well, actually, we better back up. What's your hope in? What is your attention set on? Let me put it a different way. What's the carrot on the stick in front of you? Is your hope a new wife? A husband? A girlfriend? A boyfriend? Is the carrot on the stick in front of you a different job? A new car? A house? None of these things are a legitimate source of hope. The new car will rust. The new house will burn. The person will let you down. Guaranteed. Where can you put your hope? Especially in this world. What What's the subject of our email? He shall return. The return of the king. Are you still looking for his return? Are you patient in your hope? For our Lord Jesus Christ. Or have you sort of moved on? Right back in the 70's there was this great feeling like, Wow, he's really coming back. and He's coming back soon. Have you sort of moved on? Do you know when he's coming? We don't know when he's coming exactly. But we do know that he's coming soon. We know that he's coming sooner than than he was with the Thessalonians. Matthew 24, you guys have it? You guys need a, a, a booster, maybe? In a, you need a booster in the uh, fact that he's coming back? Look at this, Matthew 24. They say to him, they say to Jesus, Verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. He says one of the the first things, very early signs, is there will be a lot of people throughout the ages, whenever it is, that will come and say, look, I am the Christ. Read an article, uh, January of this year, I guess. guy changed his name legally to Jesus Christ. And there's another one in D.C. There's more than one. Guys who are walking around with driver's license that say Jesus Christ. Amazing. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Has he heard of wars? Rumors of wars, any chance? See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for a nation will rise against nation. Okay, I can think of a few of those. And kingdom against kingdom, as in Israel against the Muslim kingdom. And there will be famines, yes. Uh, the the most recent one is the uh, the uh, the Cape of Africa, I think it is uh, famine, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. You guys know how many earthquakes there were yesterday? Thirteen. Over 2.5. That that only registers anything that was registered over 2.5. There were thirteen yesterday. I think on Wednesday there were 34. See. And as we as we read through, it says, all these, look at verse 8, are the beginning of sorrows. The word there is birth pangs. That's what it actually means when it says sorrows. Meaning, look, these are going to come and go. Just like a woman in labor. That seems to be the theme today, right? Woman in labor. They're like birth pangs. They're going to come and go. They're going to get bigger. And then they're going to fade away for a little bit. And then they're going to get bigger. And they're going to fade away. One of these days, it might be today, will be the last push. It could be today. Do we know? We don't know the day. But we do know, generally, because Jesus gave us what to look for, we know what to look for. Matter of fact, turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. This is your third statement, where Paul says, Look, I don't really need to teach you guys this, because you already know it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, But concerning the times and the seasons, not the day or the hour, he said, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. He says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains hmm, upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Paul says, Look, you can't possibly know the day or the hour, but... You should know the seasons, the times. You should be able to look in the paper and go, Wow, Jesus, could it be today? Our hope should be in Him. If you buy a car today, you don't know how long it's going to last. When someone has proven themselves worthy and very trustworthy, and they ask you to wait, you're going to wait. You should wait anyway. I just want to end with this article. Um, I don't know, it might not minister to you as much as it did to me, but this was uh, online yesterday. You you guys can close your Bibles. Tangier Island, Virginia. island doctor keeps 27-year-old promise. It first appears as a smear on the horizon, barely visible through the helicopter's windshield on the hazy expanse of the Chesapeake Bay. Soon an outline emerges, then houses and a church, a white picket fences, and a weedy, forlorn airstrip. That would be it, says the pilot, David B. Nichols. This doctor first visited this isolated place as a young doctor 27 years ago when he promised people he would be coming back to provide medical care. They had seen other doctors come and go, but he said, I won't do that. He promised to be back, and once a week, weather permitting, for almost three decades now, this guy has flown the 25 miles from the mainland to this sun-bleached outpost in the middle of the bay. This, you might call, God-forsaken place, but obviously not. He did so again one day last month. He's 58 now, this doctor, with a shock of white hair, setting down on a storied island where life and weather can be harsh and where the 600 or so residents are still haunted by vestiges of a strange disease to which the Tangiers gave its name 40 years ago. See, it's a rare genetic illness that causes high cholesterol and heart disease. And while no one in the island officially has it, the symptoms seem to be widespread. There's this heart malady that seems to be everybody has it. But Nichols says he treats many maladies here. We see everybody, he jokes, young, old, beautiful, ugly. He hugs them. They caress his face and they stroke his hands. There's this love relationship here. He's not one of those 10-minute doctors, they say. He says people in their 20s and 30s, if they present here with chest pains, he says they've got a heart attack unless I prove otherwise. Because it's so common for young people to have this heart disease. Poor diet, smoking, and obesity are also indicators, he says, but more than anything is the fact that they're Tangier natives. That, to me, he says, is the biggest risk factor. The fact that they live on this island predisposes them to this heart disease. Nichols says he he intends to continue his visits as long as he can. He says, the more I go, the more I like to go. That's a labor of love, right? And the more I learn. He says, I guess I didn't really realize how great a place it was when I first went. You get to feel the part of the life. The other thing is they need it. Who else is going to do it? I don't know if you caught it in there. I had to read it a few times, but there's all sorts of parallels here to us. There is another great physician who flew on to our ball of dirt, this island, and he did say, I will return. And we too suffer from a serious heart defect. And yes, what we take in, our diet and our laziness, that stuff contributes, it affects us. But the biggest risk factor is the fact that we were born on this Island sold into sin. Jesus came, the great physician, and he offered to make us whole at great personal expense. It was a very difficult task, but you were worth it. Now, these residents of Tangiers Island have developed a sense of patience in hope. They know they're only going to see this guy at best once a week, but they wait. I mean, I don't know what they do when somebody's really in pain but they stick it out because they know He will return. So too with us. Are you patient in hope?